0: attention to the Holy Word of God, we are in chapter 9 of Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a fun chapter to dive into and we are going to look at verses 1 through 5 this morning. So will you hear the word of the Lord this morning? I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. "...that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ." who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. 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 Today we're talking about this thing of having a burden for the lost. Um, I want to make three statements before we get started this morning. So the first statement is that everyone in this room lives next door to, works with, or walks by every single day people who do not know Christ and are headed for hell. The second point I want to make is that most of you don't give a damn. The third point is that most of you are more upset that your pastor just used the word damn in the pulpit than you've ever been about the fact that your daughters, your sons, your husbands, your wives, your neighbors, your co-workers are dying without Christ and will burn in hell for eternity. So the question here is, do we have a burden for the lost? I mean, a burden is a weight, a heaviness, a seriousness, a soberness. Remember, and I guess what, I, what I'm so convinced with uh, as just reading Paul this week, is that most of us in the church, we're asleep. We come, we worship, we hear our stuff that we love to say and sing and say amen, and then we leave again. But we forget the reason that God saved us is not just so that we can worship him, that is tantamount in it, that he is worthy of praise and we worship him, but he's also equipped and called us to reach people with that message of Christ. In 19, uh, 1978, Keith Green wrote a song called "Asleep in the Light, and it's, it's relevant. Listen to these words. Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. That's what most people are doing week after week in churches. And I'm afraid that's what we've done at Grace Covenant. And and I, I just am burdened to call us, to repentance of that and to understand what it is that we're to be doing day in and day out of our lives. We should be having and carrying a great burden for people all around us. So today in Romans 9, 1 through 5, Paul shows us what it looks like to be burdened for the lost. Do you have a burden? Do you really have a burden for the lost? Well, Paul's going to show us what that looks like. Look at verses 1 and 2, what he says here. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Look at this language what Paul's saying here. He's, he's talking about this megas lupe, this great sorrow, mental pain, sadness, anxiety. That's what that word means. It's this overwhelming sense of sorrow in my mind. I know something is wrong with other people. I have this anguish. And it's unceasing and it's unending, he says. Unceasing anguish. I don't just think about it from time to time. This is unceasing. This is daily for me, Paul is saying. This anguish, he says. Unending anguish. Odunei implies this. This word in the Greek, it applies an extension of pain, literal physical pain. It's not just mental anguish, but that mental anguish Paul was suffering literally caused his heart to ache. I mean, pain over the fact that people are lost. He's literally carrying this weight at the thought of people dying without Christ and facing a an eternity under the wrath of God, why was he so burdened? Why was Paul so burdened for the lost? There's three reasons we'll see here. Three reasons why Paul was burdened for the lost. Number one, he had a genuine love for people. He had a genuine love for people. One reason we're not burdened about people going to hell is we do not love people. Romans 9, 3, look what he says. Look at how this love is shown in Paul's heart. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and sisters, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's, that's, I can't even imagine this kind of burden. Paul's saying, I wish I was lost. I'd go to hell for them. That's how much he cared. Paul loved his brothers and sisters in Judaism, his his people, his brothers and sisters, obviously, of, of, of kinsmen, as he mentions there. But I say also, folks, that we should love all people because we're all of one flesh, right? The human race. And that's what God tells us. He, he, we, he commands us. We, we should love all people because God says that every person has been made in his image. We should love every person because they are made in the image of God. We should also love other people because God commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's part of the great, greatest commandment of all. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Everybody. So again, we should love people just because they're people. Human beings made in the image of God, my neighbor. We should love people even when we disagree with them. What, a, what an age we live in, right? Where if you disagree, you hate each other. We ought to be able to disagree. Yes, we will disagree, but we must love Even those we disagree with, you say, I don't know about that. Does it say that? Yeah, what did did God say? Not only love those who are lovable, he said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. So we have no excuse. We cannot allow the grossness and hatred for sin and that very sin that makes God sick and that very sin that God hates, but we cannot allow that to move over into the person. We must love them. Love the person. Weep for them. Ache for them. Because they are no different than where we were when we were dead in our sins. In the world without hope and without God, as the Bible says. That's all of us. But somebody had a burden for us, <laughs> prayed for us, told us the good news of Christ, and we must have that kind of love for other people, even our enemies. I mean, think of this. Look at this. In the, in the, in the metaphysical story of the gospel. It was because of God's love for his people that he moved toward them in redemption. God moved towards us when we rebelled against him. He came into the world. He lived for us. He died for us. He redeemed us. He moved towards us because of his love for his people. And therefore, it will be because of our love for people that we move towards them with the gospel. A genuine love for people. And the reason we're not moving toward people with the gospel is because we, if we're honest, do not love people and we need to repent and ask God for that love so that we will again move towards not just family, neighbors, coworkers, friends, but also strangers and build relationships with them so that we can share the greatest news in the universe. I mean, folks, we may have a lot of knowledge which we need. The Bible says that. We should be knowledgeable in what we believe. We should study to show ourselves approved. We should seek in the sincere milk of the word of God and eat that we may, we may grow. Those things are, are non-negotiable. We must be growing in our faith and have knowledge, but we may have all the knowledge and know a lot of theology, but folks, it's love that pushes us out into the world to actually display that truth to people. It's the love. So, so the point is, all of that without love is useless. Paul said it, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2. Look at this. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so, that, so as to remove mountains, look what he says. But if I have not love... I'm nothing. All those things are important but it's love that energizes them and causes us to move towards people and actually honor God by obeying his command to make disciples of all the world. Starting with your coworker, your neighbor, your friend, that's that command, folks. It's love that we don't have but that God can give us for people that will cause us to do that. But number two, why did he have a burden for the lost? Not just because he loved, genuinely loved people. But he understood, number two, the reality of God's wrath. Paul had a clear, unashamed understanding of God's wrath. Look at verse three. For I could wish that I, my, that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, what does that mean? For the sake of them, I wish I was accursed. He he didn't doubt for a minute that God has cursed wickedness, and we're under that curse. It was a reality to Paul. It was not just some debatable theological idea. It was A reality. No question. There's a curse. And and I wish I could be a curse. That word accursed. Anathema. Literally means something delivered up to divine wrath. Dedicated to destruction. And brought under a curse. Paul's saying I would take that if it meant my brothers and sisters and fellow kinsmen and other people, could know Christ. Progressives, liberal theologians, they, they today argue and say there is no hell. You know, the idea of that hell is, is, is just uh, a metaphor, but it's just you know, overused and we don't need to worry about it. The lost will not endure eternal punishment. False teachers like Rob Bell and David Hart and others promote universalism. Basically, there's no hell, and in the end, everybody gets to go to heaven. It's funny because Jesus said in Matthew 5, 29 uh, through 30, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell i mean these 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 verses are plain. Jesus wasn't really giving us a way of escaping hell. He was showing us how bad hell was. Obviously, he's not saying that by plucking out your eye and cutting off your hand, you can somehow dismember enough of your your body parts so that you won't sin anymore and you'll be perfect. That's not the case. We know that's not the case because sin is not just of our hands and eyes and head. And if we started cutting off body parts to keep ourselves from sinning, the knife would never go deep enough. Do you know why? We could be nothing but a stump sitting there, and our heart is still wicked. So he's not trying to give a remedy here to say, oh, just do this, and you'll be be saved. He's trying to show us that hell is so bad, if you could cut off your hand and spare yourself from that, it'd be worth it. So the point he's making here is the reality of that place. He believed it, he knew it, he knows it. In Revelation chapter 14, verses 10 through 11, the very revelation of Christ himself to the apostle John, what does he say? Speaking about the one who refuses to worship and submit to God as savior, what does God say? It says he, that person, also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night picture your family friends neighbors co-workers folks this is real Paul had no question about that and it drove him to forget all about embarrassment. What will people think? What if I mess up? What if I don't say the right stuff? In Paul's mind, verse 511 of 2 Corinthians, here's here's what he said. Therefore, knowing the fear or the terror of the Lord, we we persuade others. We know the fear and the terror of God is real. Therefore, we're gonna persuade, we're gonna persuade others to follow Christ. That's what we're gonna do. That's what drives us, knowing this is real. I, it, it is real. What are we doing? Why are we playing? What are, what are we waiting for? Are we that selfish? We've been saved. We've tasted of God's grace and had been made alive and brought into his kingdom and have eternal blessings. He has paid our hell debt. But countless others around us are on their way to hell, and we seem to not care. Charles Spurgeon, great 18th century pastor, said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. That should be our motto as, as believers. It shows us the truth that we are not we're not commanded by God to make them believe. That pressure is off, folks. We're gonna see that as we continue through Romans 9. The pressure is not on us to save people, but the obligation is on us to tell people, to simply proclaim that message of jesus and it can literally be as simple as jesus saves each of us folks are, are are called by god to promote this message of the gospel and some will plant some will water some will continue in your life all through your life if you remember there were different people praying for you talking to you and it may have taken you years to finally repent and trust christ but the faithfulness of god's people throughout those years Even smiling and saying, I'm praying for you, or how can I pray for you? Letting you know, there's a God. Hey, there's somebody that I am accountable to. Somebody else telling you their their testimony. In just a short, small, stumbling way, God is slowly revealing himself to us. He's just asking each of us to be faithful, to be that mouthpiece. Doesn't have to be eloquent. Doesn't have to be great. But if you've been changed by Jesus Christ, and you're trusting him, and you're saved today, then you have something to say to somebody else. because the truth is folks it's just horrific to think of that person even that you disagree with under the wrath of God forever when you have the good news so that's what Paul that's what drove him to have such a burden for people he loved them and he knew the truth about God's eternal wrath but finally we see in this text Number three, a reason that Paul had a burden for people was that he understood the vanity of practicing religion apart from faith in Christ. I'm going to read that again. Paul understood the vanity of practicing religion apart from faith in Christ alone. He was surrounded by that. That was his lineage, that's where he came from, that's what he was. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a religious leader. He knew what it meant to just practice dry formalistic ceremonial religion. And he was watching all of his brethren do the same thing. Look what he says here in Romans 9 verse 4. He said, I'd give my life for them. I'd give my salvation for them. I want them to see. Because they are Israelites, he says. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the worship and the promises what is he talking about here he's talking about the fact that they have been given such wonderful gifts as israelites that was god's chosen people in the old testament and god had given them the law his holiness on mount sinai the ten commandments which revealed the very holiness of god the covenants the promises of a savior were given to the israelites The way to worship him was revealed. And all of those things were pointing to Christ. They were tools, if you will. They were signs and symbols. But in themselves, they were not the Savior. And Paul's saying they have all these things. And to them belong the patriarchs, he goes on to say. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ Christ who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. Through their seed will come Christ, the promised Messiah. They have it all. Every ceremony, every sacrifice, every part of their worship, every promised covenant was pointing to Christ who came from their very seed, And yet they continue to not see him, but all of the signs. And they're still keeping those ceremonies, and they're still keeping those rituals, and they're still blindly being religious. Very moral, very religious, very upstanding, and even God-fearing, if you will. And yet not understanding that Christ is the fulfillment of it all, and that only his righteousness will make them whole. Do you see that concept? Because that's exactly what's happening all around us, folks. There are people in churches here on the west side that have grown up with all of the ceremony, all of the laws, all of the rituals, hearing even the name Jesus without fully putting their faith and trust in him alone alone instead blindly trusting everything around him the peripheral everything around Christ is what they're focused on and they're missing him that's what Paul's talking about here John 5:39 Jesus addresses this with the Pharisees he says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me Yet you refuse to come that you may have life. You refuse to come to me. You're searching all of the religious ceremonies of the scriptures. But all of those things are pointing to me. But you don't see it because you're too busy trying to be self-righteous and religious and good. And you're missing me. The only one who can forgive you and give you righteousness. The message is very plain, very succinct. The conclusion is this, folks. Do you have a burden for the lost? Lost? Some Christians, I've talked to Christians who didn't even know what what you meant by saying somebody was lost. (laughs) doesn't mean they're geographically challenged, can't find their way home. It doesn't mean they don't have purpose in this life and can't find a job that would make them happy. It means they are under the wrath of a holy God whom they've offended by their sin. And if they do not run to Christ and rest in Him and take refuge in His righteousness and His death for them and His resurrection, they will perish. They're lost. Praise God. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you burdened? Are you burdened? Is it it a reality to you? We're surrounded by people who are practicing religion without a knowledge of Christ. We're surrounded by people who are not practicing religion at all and could not care less about God and deny him vehemently. It doesn't matter, folks, from the self-righteous to the self-proclaimed wicked, they all need to hear the same message. Christ is the Savior. He is your only hope. You don't even know what you need. We didn't know what we needed until somebody by God's grace had a burden for us. That's what we're called, folks, to do, right? Here's my question. How are they going to hear? How are these people going to hear that are so blind in their religion they don't even know that they're still offending God even with their self-righteousness because they're ignoring the sacrifice that was already made for them in Christ? How are they going to hear? How are they going to believe in Jesus? they got to hear about him first. How are they going to hear about him if we don't tell? That's exactly what Romans 10, 13, and 14 tell us. I want to end with this. I want us to get this. I want us to put ourselves in these verses. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is our message. Everyone who places their faith in Christ will be saved. But he goes on to say, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How can they put their faith in somebody they've not not believed in yet? They they, they haven't heard enough about. They haven't heard what he's done for them. They've heard about him. But in our context, in America, most people have heard about him, but they haven't heard what he's done for them. It's not just about believing in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. It's about believing on what he's done for you making that personal understanding i needed him to take away my sins because i was that wicked and nothing i can ever do can change that he changed it he's my righteousness he paid my price so that's what he's asking how then can they call on him in whom they've not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard and how will they hear without someone preaching and that word preaching there is not like what i'm doing now it's simply proclaiming you're all preachers we're all preachers if we're, if we're christians we're all called to proclaim the gospel how they're going to hear if we don't tell them you're here folks today because somebody had a burden do you have a burden only god can do that for us is pretty simple what I'm about to say. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, I'm going to be here. If anybody else wants to come and pray, number one, that God will give you a burden. Number two, for specific people in your life that you need to talk to. And number three, for the boldness to share that faith. And then we will also just share simple techniques and verses and things that you'll need to know, just basics to begin to just share this truth of Christ. So it's 40 minutes, 45 minutes, just that's all I'm asking. If you care, if somebody wants to come tomorrow, we'll be here at 7 o'clock praying and just kind of encouraging each other with a few ideas on how to share Christ with others. God, give us the grace. Give us the grace to be your people and to take that message to a dying world. As we transition into communion, we, we are reminded that this participation in this meal is a preaching of this very message of the gospel it's a very proclamation that christ died was buried and rose again for us and he said as often as we do this as often as we eat this bread and and drink this cup we proclaim the lord's death so even in this meal we're reminding ourselves this is what we're about we're we're here because of the death burial and resurrection of christ and that's our message as well so i want you to think this today as we're doing this I want to be faithful, to, to, to have a burden for my friends and loved ones and family and coworkers, so that I can give them the gospel so that one day, by God's grace, they will be sitting next to me here also celebrating what Christ has done for them.